0: It's good to see all of you here this morning. At least see your eyes. Uh, you, look, you look bright out there. And thanks for all of you who have tuned in this morning. Um, well, this is it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Had someone told me that I would be here at this congregation for 40 years, I would not have believed them. And had somebody told me that I would arrive at this moment so quickly, I would not have believed them either. Over the years, I've wondered what this moment might feel like. Even this week leading up to today, my mind has been all over the place, and it's difficult to put my feelings into words. There is a sense of relief that the responsibility of such a grand endeavor has been lifted from my shoulders. I'm reminded of the preacher who every afternoon at four o'clock left his office, walked down to the train yard and watched the 415 freight go through town. The train master watched this happen over a period of weeks and got a little bit suspicious and so finally went up to the preacher and he says, all right, what's going on, preacher? And he says, oh, oh, there's nothing going on. He said, i just like to come down and watch the train go through town because it's the only thing I don't have to push to keep it going. <laughs> Sometimes you feel that way when you're in ministry. And I'm very aware that this isn't my church. This is not your church. It's the Lord's church. But he has always partnered with people to carry out his work, and I have felt a deep sense of responsibility for my end of that partnership. Today my shoulders feel a bit lighter, but my heart feels a bit heavier. Despite the stress of Sunday mornings, uh, I have counted it a privilege to preach God's word. And while I will still preach, the setting will likely be different every time. You see, it is relationship that brings joy to ministry. I know your faces. I know where you sit. I know when you sleep. (laughs) But it is that relational peace that I will miss most. That's the hardest part of stepping away from this role. And with few exceptions, Elsie and I have been here longer than you. I've had the privilege of baptizing many of you and watching you grow in your walk of faith. I've had the joy of marrying you, celebrating the children who came along in due time, and then marrying your sons and your daughters. I've shared tears with many of you as we've stood by the graveside of those loved ones we did not want to lose. And I've said before, I thought that with the passing of time, those funerals would become easier, but quite the opposite is true. They have become more tender with the passing of time. I will miss your smiles. I will miss your kind words. I will miss your laughter. God bless you. You laughed at every one of my lousy jokes. And I will be forever grateful. (laughs) Now my poor family has to listen to them over and over and over again. I've played something else over and over again in my mind in anticipation of this day. What is it that I'm going to say? For years I've commented on tough or disappointing moments in ministry. I said, that one's going into my last sermon. But here's the truth. Funny thing happened on the way to this sermon. I have forgotten most of those moments. They just don't matter any longer. They're, They're not important anymore. When General Douglas MacArthur addressed the cadets at West Point one last time in 1962, he said this in the opening paragraphs of his speech, duty, honor, country. Those three hallowed words reverently dictate what you want to be, what you can be, what you will be. They are your rallying point to build courage when courage seems to fail To regain faith when there seems little cause for faith. To create hope when hope becomes forlorn. After wrestling with this message, I want to leave with you. I pray that my thoughts today will dictate what you want to be, what you can be, what you will be in Jesus Christ that they become your rallying point to build courage when courage seems to fail, to regain faith when there seems little cause for faith, to create hope when hopelessness attacks your spiritual journey. I look back to our first Sunday nearly 40 years ago. The service didn't look, sound, or feel like this one today. The pianist had just had wrist surgery, so she sort of played that morning. The church organ that we had had been struck by lightning and it was worthless. It, we, we stumbled through that first worship service, but everyone was excited. This congregation through the years has gone through multiple changes in four decades a fire, a relocation, five building programs, all debts paid, and three different campuses. Additionally, technology has changed so much in what we do. I never dreamed 40 years ago that we would someday be live streaming worship services. I mean, the internet wasn't even a part of what we did back then. And and if we did live stream, the idea that somebody halfway around the globe would be watching or would even want to watch was beyond the scope of my imagination. It honestly still is. So I am utterly amazed at where we are today compared to where we started Today, our service doesn't look, sound, or feel like that first one. But I'm here to tell you there are some values. There are some values from those moments that must remain constant today and for every new tomorrow in the life of this congregation. And I want to leave you with four be grateful. Be grateful. I am ever so grateful for you. It has been my great joy to work in a positive congregational environment. Most guys I know don't have the privilege that I've had of working with a congregation that has been so uplifting. I am ever so grateful for our team of elders and staff with whom I've had the privilege of sharing in ministry. And I'm deeply grateful for our wonderful daughters, our sons-in-law, and our grandchildren, best grandchildren, in the whole wide world. I pray that you will join Elsie and I as we pray for them through this transition time as well. I am especially grateful for Elsie. Ministry for me would be nearly impossible without her love, her devotion to the Lord, and her unfailing support throughout these years of ministry. Even surrounded by throngs of people, wonderful people, ministry can be lonely. That is especially true for a minister's wife. But Elsie has weathered the challenging times as well as celebrated the good times with grace and dignity. I am truly blessed that she chose to share her life with me. The loneliness and the difficulties which often arise in ministry is one of the very reasons why we want to spend at least part of our retirement time serving in the capacity of hopefully encouragement i mentioned last week that uh, 58 percent of all american churches are 100 or less and many of those congregations struggle and many of those ministers that serve and ministers wives that serve are lonely sometimes discouraged to the point of wanting to quit and if we can come along side some of these folks and encourage them and lift them up, then that's what we want to do. So would you pray with us that God will reveal his next steps for us and join us in that prayer that God will continue to work through us because of your great influence in our lives that we can minister to others who need to know what kind of a church they can really serve. Most of all, folks, most of all, I am grateful to the Lord for the privilege of serving him in this capacity for his mercy in working with me despite my faults and my failures, and for blessing my life in ways that I can only attribute to his grace. I am forever in his debt and that of his cross. And here's what I've learned about gratitude. Being grateful lifts your spirits. The grateful person is a joy to be around. The grateful person is seldom negative or pessimistic. Some wise person penned these words, it isn't what you have in your pocket that makes you thankful, but what you have in your heart, and it is so true. So whenever you feel that negativity or that critical spirit beginning to rise in you, and we all do at times, keep these words from Paul in, in Colossians close at hands. Colossians 3 verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now did you notice the common thread woven through all three of those verses? Verse 15 says, be thankful. Verse 16 says, with gratitude in your hearts to God. Verse 17 says, giving thanks to God the Father through him. No matter where life takes you or what you face on this journey, be grateful. Be grateful. Here's the second one. Be faithful. Among the letters written to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, it is the letter to the church at Smyrna that ends with these triumphant words. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10. Be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you the crown of life. Be faithful. I don't know what the future holds, folks. (laughs) If I did, would I have picked a pandemic as a time to retire? I don't think so. I don't know what the future holds, but I do know know who holds the future, so it is incumbent upon each of us to put him first and to be faithful, to be faithful to him no matter what. The late Mark Hatfield, a U.S. senator from Oregon, was touring the work of Mother Teresa in Calcutta, overwhelmed by the sheer magnitude that she and her co-workers were suffering and facing on a daily basis. He exclaimed, he says, how can you bear the load without being crushed by it? And Mother Teresa replied, my dear Senator, I am not called to be successful. I am called to be faithful. It is true, folks. We are not called to necessarily be happy. We're not called to be successful. We are called to be faithful, and without being faithful, we fail. What is faithfulness? Well, the Bible speaks frequently of God's faithfulness to us. Jeremiah writes in Lamentations chapter 3, Because of the Lord's great love we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Over and over again, we see God's faithfulness spelled out in Scripture about how he treats his people. But what does it mean for us to be faithful to him? Faithfulness is an adjective, that is defined in the following terms thorough in the performance of one's duty true to one's word steady in allegiance loyal reliable trustworthy and believable does that does that describe you in your relationship with the lord and how can we not be faithful to him who is the creator of everything around us that surrounds us and all the beauty of this world and the beauty of the, of the universe? Folks, it's only been in our generation with the Hubble telescope that we are now seeing glimpses of what God sees every day. You look into the universe through these pictures you see these marvelous, beautiful, inexplicable pictures of God's creation and, and, and God knows every star by name. How could we not be faithful to him? He is worthy of that faithfulness and so much more. So what then is the measure of our faithfulness? Paul answers that in Colossians 2. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Paul says the one who is faithful is the one who continually lives for Christ, who sinks his roots deep into Christ, who builds his life on Christ, who exercises strength through Christ, and who overflows in thankfulness to Christ. For the last 40 years, this congregation has been faithful. This congregation has been a people of the book Don't ever change. Let it be the supreme rule of faith and practice in all that you do in the tomorrows to come. Be a people of the book. Be faithful to the word of God. And we have been a people who have been united despite our differences. Be faithful to the unity that comes from the spirit of God. And most of all, we have been a people who have worshipped Christ alone the bread of life, the living water, the good shepherd, the true vine, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, always, always be faithful to Jesus Christ and to him alone, the very son of God. And if you will remain faithful to the word of God and to the leading of the spirit of God and to the son of God, Jesus Christ, you will have been found faithful. Here's the third one, be cheerful. Be grateful, be faithful, be cheerful. I love Proverbs seventeen twenty two. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed up spirit dries up the bones. Be a cheerful person. No one likes a grouch. Now, I think Paul was a cheerful person. Sometimes Paul is pictured as being very stern. But when I read Paul's writings, there is a tenderness in his words that, that speaks, I think, of cheerfulness even despite the circumstances. These words in Colossians chapter 2. Paul says, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Paul says, I'm struggling. It's an athlete's word that means you're straining every muscle to win. Paul agonized so that the people the people in the church would know that they could be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty cheerful. That's cheerful inspiration. And you say, well, how can I cheerfully inspire other people? Well, may I suggest you start with the one and of Scripture. These are just, I don't know when the last time is that you started reading in the New Testament the one and others, but they are so powerful. Let me just read a part of the list. Love one another deeply from the heart. That happens about 10 times in Scripture. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Don't pass judgment on one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Be patient with one another. Bear with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Submit to one another. Forgive one another encourage one another, admonish one another, don't hate one another, spur one another on to good works, be humble toward one another, be hospitable to one another. Oh, folks, if if we could just do that, if we could live out the one another's of Scripture, we would be a cheerful person, and we would create a cheerful environment in which to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if you've struggled with being cheerful, if you say, well, I've spent most of my life as a grump, how do, I, how do I change? Well, can I give you a couple keys on how to develop that cheerfulness? Because I think God wants us to be cheerful people. And the first one is encourage others. One of the first people I hope to meet in heaven is Joseph. No, not, not Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, although I do really want to meet him and no, not Joseph the Old Testament. And I really want to meet Joseph of the Old Testament. He's one of my heroes of the faith. But one of the guys I want to meet early on is the, is the Joseph that we are introduced to once by his given name, Joseph. And the next 34 times we're introduced to him, it's by his nickname, Barnabas, son of encouragement. There are all kinds of verses about Barnabas, but this is one in Acts 11 is a nice snapshot. When he, that is Barnabas, arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. There's that cheerfulness. He was cheerful. And he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He builds up. What an uplifting character. Barnabas was a preacher. He was a mentor. He was a church builder. When Saul of Tarsus was converted, you'd have thought Saul had COVID-19 as much as everybody stayed away from him. But he found a partner in Barnabas. When all the rest of the church thought it was a deception that this Saul of Tarsus could not possibly have come to know Jesus Christ, it was Barnabas who stepped up and began to mentor Saul, who becomes Paul. And then, Barnabas takes Paul and forms a mission team. And they start, and you and you read in the book of Acts that it was Barnabas and Paul that go out on these mission trips, and it's not long until Paul becomes the central figure of the Christian faith, and, and it switches from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. Nobody in in the church ever played second fiddle better than Barnabas. And I think. I think this is just my opinion but I think that the book of Hebrews since Hebrews does not lay claim to any particular author I think the book of Hebrews was actually a sermon written by Barnabas. Hebrews 3:13 says but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today. Hebrews 10:25 says but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. In the New Testament the word most often translated encourage is found 109 times and means to come alongside of in order to give aid. It refers to what a believer says or does to help someone else become a stronger Christian. This is not an optional virtue, folks. Every Christian is to be an encourager. What's more, every Christian can be an encourager. It doesn't take special gifts or talents. Everybody can encourage. You see this box? I brought this box with me today. This box is chucked full of letters, notes, and cards I've collected over the years. I can't get anymore. more. It's really kind of bubbling over. And this is not all of them. And this, this does not include all the emails that I've received over the years as notes of encouragement ever since we've been able to have the, the internet. These are, are, are cards. These are treasures of ink and paper that people have written to me to lift my spirits or to say thank you for something. This folder, discouraging notes. It's empty, and you say, "Wow! In forty years, he never got a discouraging or critical note." <laughs> oh, I got a lot of those along the way, but I didn't think worth they were worth keeping, so I didn't, I didn't save them. But these, these I can't get rid of. And on the tough days, on the gloomy days, I can reach into that box, I can pull out a card, I can pull out a letter, and it just lifts my spirits. And can I tell you that there have been far more encouraging notes than there ever were discouraging notes. You, you have been Barnabas to me. Now, be Barnabas to one another. I think Barnabas is the embodiment of one of my favorite quotes from Ella Wheeler Wilcox regarding encouragement. She wrote, a pat on the back is only a few vertebrae removed from a kick in the pants but it's miles ahead in results. Isn't that true? Encourage others. Here's the second key in developing that cheerful spirit and that is laugh often. I don't believe you can be a cheerful person if you don't like to laugh. What a gift God gave us in our ability to laugh. Nothing else in all of creation laughs like those of us who have been created in the image of God because God is a God of laughter. And not even the coronavirus is as contagious as a hearty laugh. May I share one of my favorite stories? Thank you. (laughs) An old walnut tree stood in a field right next to the local cemetery in a small Midwestern town. And every year, it was always a race to see in the fall, who would be able to get there when the walnuts began to drop to the ground and, and, and collect them. Well, after one particularly blustery evening, two guys knew that the walnuts had probably fallen off the tree, and it, they had indeed fallen off the tree. And they thought if they get there around midnight, they can beat the mad rush that will come in the morning to collect the, the nuts. And so they gathered and they started filling up their burlap sacks, and they just just got packed to the gills with the, with the walnuts. Well, about that time, about midnight, uh, the siren uh, sound went off at the local factory saying that the Night shift was over. Well, people started pouring out of the building, as they always did. And and one man always walked through that field in between the wall of the cemetery and the old walnut tree. It was a shortcut to his way home. And they saw him coming through the field. And so these guys, knowing they didn't want to get caught or seen, hopped over the wall into the cemetery. And they stayed right there by the wall. On their way over, however. Two of their prized walnuts fell out of their bag and and stayed on that side. They paused, they looked at each other, thought, should we go back and get it? And they decided, no, we'll we'll just get those two nuts afterwards. So they got on the other side. Well, as the man from the factory on his way home approaches the cemetery, he, he hears what he's not used to hearing, and that is talking words. So curiosity was greater than his fear, and he slips up to the wall of the cemetery, puts his ear up there, and this is what he hears on the other side inside the cemetery that he can't see. One for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. He took off on a dead run as fast as he could, got to the convenience store on the outside of the edge of town, burst in, talked to the clerk. He said, Mr., Mr., Mr. He said, you won't believe it. The Lord and the devil are up in the cemetery, and they're dividing up bodies. (laughs) And the guy said, oh, no, no, no. He said, that can't be. That can't be. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, it's happening. If you don't believe me, you just come up with me. So he locked up the store, and they both walked up there, put their ear right up against the wall like he had before, and this is what he heard. One for you, one for me. One for you, one for me. Well, that about does it. As soon as we get those two nuts on the other side of the wall, we'll be all done. (laughs) You talk about running, those guys ran back to town faster than they'd ever run before. You gotta keep laughing, folks. Laugh hearty, laugh loud, laughed often. And when you laugh, you will build a cheerfulness that people want to be around. Last thing, be hopeful. Be hopeful. You know, I don't have to be afraid in the cemetery, and you don't either, because of our hope. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Forty-three years ago this month, the elders from my home church ordained me to ministry. But it was 50 years ago this summer as a 15-year-old teenager in church camp that I felt compelled to preach. Some describe it as a calling. Paul calls it a commission. Call it what you will. I concluded that God wanted me to spend my life preaching the gospel, preaching Christ and him crucified. Thus began my preaching journey. And in my moments of discouragement, I have reminded myself that God had only one son, and he made him a preacher. George Whitefield said, other men may preach the gospel better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. That is so true. Why? Because there is no message of greater hope in this world than the gospel. That God has loved us enough to sacrifice his sons so that we might become his sons and daughters is a truth more amazing than we can describe. What's more, he has promised to come and take us home so that where he is, there we may be forever. And folks, I can face anything. I can face anything with that kind of hope. How about you? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will bless and guide and direct this congregation in the days ahead, that as they have been in the past, they will be in the future, a congregation of grateful hearts, faithful lives, cheerful voices, and hopeful minds. Father, thank you for the fact that we have something greater than we can even begin to put into words, and that is a hope in what Jesus Christ is going to do, that he will come and take us home. To that end and to that day, Lord, we wait, hopefully. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray, amen.